0: One of the more difficult subjects of the Scriptures is the tithe, tithe. Immediately upon the mention of this, people have all kinds of reactions. I have rarely ever spoken about the tithe in the decades of ministry, perhaps because I understand that there is a certain controversy about the tithe and because I work in the kingdom full time, I'm I'm subject to the accusation that any teaching on the tithe and a related subject of offerings benefits me so that I'm somehow compromised and and, uh, disqualified from speaking about tithes and offerings uh, because there's such a distaste in people's mouths over church financing, over the financing that relates to the preaching of the gospel. I'm at the place in my journey where I don't really actually care what people think anymore about such things like that and it has given me for years now the freedom to simply say what is true i want to begin with certain objections to the tithe but then as i normally do and as you've come to expect me to do I paint the picture of the biblical context and more particularly the mind of God concerning any subject matter. Now at the end of that, you can decide if the truth you've heard, for I will speak the truth to you on this matter, if the truth you heard is something you will submit to or that you won't. whatever you do with it is your decision. But every decision we make has consequences and in this case it would be likely the consequence of disobedience. But before I get into that, let me uh, talk a little bit about how people view the tithe. and These are actual discussions I've had with real persons over many years. I don't know that uh, I persuaded many people of the biblical view of things because what I get into is pretty substantial, pretty deep. And what I find is most people want a verse of scripture that says, Thou shalt or thou shalt not. And if they don't see it in terms of a verse of Scripture, uh, they can't get their minds around it. I will say that, not particularly in regard to the understanding of the tithe, but whoever has that mindset is scripturally or biblically is a child, because they want everything reduced to a law. That says, Thou shalt or thou shalt not. To speak about matters of wisdom and understanding, there's almost nothing that is set forth in a verse of Scripture. Although, once the revelation of the truth is apparent, the Scriptures suddenly appear everywhere in support of the thing. One of the objections that I hear and have heard over the years is, well, the tithe is the law and I am not under law, I am under grace. And they will cite passages from the Old Testament, principally the book of Leviticus, that speaks of bringing a tenth uh, to the Lord. And they will say, well, you know, that that was for the Jews, and it was uh, it was for support of the temple, and support of the priesthood in the temple. Uh, we're not under that. We are when Christ came. We're under grace. We're under the the law of grace. So we don't have to do that. He paid the price for our sins. Um, salvation is free. The tithe is an impo- a reimposition of the law. That's, that's one common uh, objection. Uh, anecdotally, I remember talking to this one fellow, his first name was Bruce, I know his last name but I'm not sure if he's still alive so I won't, I won't reference his last name, but we were having this discussion and I asked him, I said, now Bruce, would you prefer To have a tithe, to offer a tithe of a million dollars per month or a hundred dollars per month. And I mean, without thinking, he said, Of course, a hundred. And I laughed. He said, Why are you laughing? I said, Oh, Bruce, it'll come to you. In a little while, he said, "'Ah, oh, I see, if I'm, if I'm in a position to give a million dollars per month,' "'that means my income is ten million a month.' "'If I'm only in a position to give a hundred dollars a month,' "'my income is a thousand. I said, that's probably why you don't have that problem because you're focused on the control of the tithe, you are determined that no one should be enriched for preaching the gospel, that's your focus. You aren't focused on something else which is your own prosperity. And I proceeded to say, look, by that perspective, you cannot be trusted with weighty matters, you can't even be entrusted with a lot of money because you don't understand the relationship of money uh, and the things of God. And I cited the scripture that says that if you are unfaithful with unrighteous mammon, how can you be trusted with the real uh, significant things of the kingdom? such as wisdom and revelation, or even power. I've had lots and lots of discussions like that, as you might well expect, over the years where I tried to break it down in bite-sized pieces for people, but like I said, I don't know that I've ever been really successful at that and I haven't actually borne down upon preaching about or teaching about the tithe. But it occurs to me that we are now in a time where the body of Christ, a time in which the body of Christ cannot live by bread alone but must live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The trap for people, who have not learned the faithfulness of the tithe is that it's going to be extremely difficult to escape the pull of the economy of the beast. So that's that's really my motivation. For myself, I aver truthfully that the Lord has protected and provided for me for everything He's called me to do. All of you know very well that nothing that I have been given by way of revelation have I attached a price tag to. I truly live by the word that proceeds from the mouth of God and it has given me the freedom to speak plainly and boldly without concern for money. Now I want to get into this subject matter And obviously I begin by painting the biggest picture that provides a framework in which to view the tithe. So I'll probably dedicate a couple of programs just to painting the picture, painting the background. Because as you may infer from the limited uh, references I gave at the beginning of this, to talk about some of the controversies associated with the tithe and with offerings, people who argue about the tithe really do not have much in the way of comprehension of the Scriptures and they're struggling financially so they don't want some other and additional burden. One of the other reasons that people do not want to give the tithe and Bruce Art, Arch- uh, the the, uh, uh, the the person that I referenced, um, that I was uh, in, involved in this discussion with, his issue was really that of, of control. He wanted to be able to control. Yet other people say, uh, "I can't, I can't afford to tie." Because when I count up my money, when I count count up what I bring in every month, I don't have, I don't have enough to tithe. <laughs> to which I always will say, you know, you you're putting the cart before the horse. The reason you don't have enough is because you don't tithe. If you were to revamp your thinking to prioritize the matter of obedience and finances, it would begin to expose, down the line, all kinds of things like your relationship to money, like your view of yourself uh, and so on. But the underlying reason ranges from the lack of faith to the desire for control. One fellow kept insisting that he should control whatever happened with the tithe to the point where he would offer to give us uh, things that he decided uh, he wanted to give uh, and would decide that that was his tithe. So I finally began to just reject things he would offer to give because I wasn't helping him to learn obedience in the time. Uh, others have just decided that um, whatever they think, uh, like if they gave services, professional services or, or helps, to people that that is their tithe. In in all of these circumstances, underlying them are severely broken people who are struggling with basic identity issues. Am I a son of God? Uh, If so, am I a mature son? One thing is certain, You can never lay claim to being a mature son if you cannot get right the elementary or basic things. You're not mature, you may know about them, but until they are incarnate in your flesh and a part of your living and life, no, uh, they're, they're only information. And at best, having this information is not helpful to, to persons who are not implementing uh, these these uh, things they know, and that's actually why God doesn't give you any more. If you're a person who is not implementing what He knows, God can't give you any more. Any more is just that much more you won't obey. Any more is that which condemns you even more. So God, in His mercy actually, in His mercy, He doesn't give you any more. It's the mercy of God not to give more than anyone can contain or can, can uh, obey because it, it's not neutral, it will either uh, reveal you with it in the glory of that revealing because you're doing it and the Word has become flesh in your flesh and the glory of the revealed Word in you and through you shows you to be revealed with Christ or it'll condemn you. If you know it and cannot bring yourself to do it, it'll, the knowledge of it will condemn you. And in that sense, the enemy, you make yourself available for the enemy as the accuser of the brethren to constantly accuse you. And it undercuts you. You doubt whether or not the presence of God sustains you. Now, here's the thing whether you tithe or you don't tithe, God will give you what you need. I'll say that again. Just so you understand, this message has nothing to do with manipulating you to tithe. Whether you give, whether you present the tithe or you don't, God will give you what you need, He'll provide for you. The problem is that you have become the limit on God's provision because usually, accompanying the attitude of not wanting or not being willing to, to give the tithe, to present the tithe, what goes with that is the, the belief that you need all the money that you have just to live. So. What would happen if God gave you more? You'd simply increase your standard of living and with greater increases in your standard of living, the greater the possibility of indebtedness. Because the problem isn't how much money you have, the problem is your view of life and your need for money. So, There are these things at the threshold of this discussion, and I want to, I'll refer to them by way of illustrations as we go through this teaching, but I wanted to start with that. What is the tithe, anyway? And I want to to ask and answer two questions What is it, and how much is it? The tithe is a tenth and for the believer it is the recognition, the threshold recognition, that that is a portion of what has been given to you that God intends you present back to the Lord. So it's the Lord's portion. That's what it is, is it a tenth of your gross? Is it a tenth of your net? I believe that's something you should decide. There's no no matter in the Scriptures that would definitively say it is the one or the other. In the agricultural society of ancient Israel, if you produced uh, 10 bushels of wheat, you expected to give one. But that's not the same as uh, there being a tax on your income, because there was no tax on that. So, Uh, I believe that it is up to the person to decide whether it's before or after taxation. Now let's move on into the first of the the important contextual points that we should uh, begin with and that is, in what economy are you? In what economy are you? In the Scriptures there are two economies. One is the economy of the sweat of the brow and we have in recent times, in our discussions of, on the man of the seventh day and the man of the sixth day, had quite a bit of discussion about these two economies. For example, Cain comes out of the economy of the sixth day, we know that because He brings as offering the produce of His his labors, the sweat of His brow. This is the economy after man was separated from God. God said to man, to Adam, that from the point of his departure from God onward, from that point he would eat bread by the sweat of his brow, by his toil. Now this was said after Adam had lived for some time in a different economy, in the economy of the seventh day wherein he was at rest because God was at rest and Adam was invited to be and was in the rest of God. What does the economy look like from a position of rest? We understand what the economy looks like from the sweat of your brow. The toil associated, the toil, the anxiety, the worry that is associated with you being your own provision, The economy of the seventh day in which Adam lived was described in the following terms, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, except the tree that's in the midst of the garden from which you should not eat. So it's every, meaning the plentitude, Every tree except one. Now how many trees were in the garden? We have no idea. But one thing we do know is from the naming of things in creation, that there was the customary abundance of God. of the rivers, the four rivers that flowed out of Eden two of them, one was named Gihon, the other was named Pishon, the third was the Tigris and the fourth the Euphrates. Gihon meant a gusher, a gusher, and Pishon meant a spurter, meaning both came out voluminously and we know that Tigris and Euphrates were mighty rivers in what came to be known as the land between waters or Mesopotamia, the headwaters of which was the Garden of Eden. Gihon and Pishon are indications of the abundance of flow, the abundance of God. So one may assume that the garden was not one in which Adam and Eve lacked for food. There was no need for clothing, they were clothed in the glory of God. And there was no need for shelter because the elements were not adverse to them. So their primary concern was for food and there was an absolute abundance of food. They're only re- requirement was to tend the garden. If in doing so they were to engage toil so as to sweat, then the new economy that resulted from their falling away from from the grace of their existence would not have been necessarily described as by the sweat of your brow, because that would have been commonplace anyway. The sweat of the brow was something else, it was the effort to produce in an environment that had become hostile to them. Hostile in the sense that it had produced thorns and thistles. Thorns would mar the ground, would take up the ground, would require clearing. So thorns were an imposition and by way of a limitation upon the scope of their inheritance. So there were two economies, one was the economy of the seventh day which could be engaged and was meant to be engaged from the position of rest. The other was the economy Of the sixth day, where man was required, where man had stepped back from the seventh day into toil. And that was the economy of the sweat of the brow. The economy of the tithe was always meant to be the economy of the seventh day and it was meant to be a celebration of divine provision, that God was your supply, God was your provision. That is why the Sabbath itself, which means seven, that was later enacted as an enforced mandate required the people to rest on the seventh day and the Sabbath year that followed was a requirement that the land would lie idle in the seventh year and God was serious about this. So much so that after 490 years of neglecting the Sabbath year, Israel was taken into captivity for 70 years. So even within the law of the, seventh, of the sixth day, God insisted that the economy of the seventh day be remembered and observed. Now as we come back, I want to move into an order of royal priests because there was a pre-creation covenant and we'll tie the two together as we go forward. I'm Sam Solon, continue to walk with me in this deep study of the tithe, I'll see you then. Bye-bye.